Good morning. I really like the discipline that we have here at CFM, where we're following through Scripture from passage to passage. And we're looking this morning at a passage from 1 Samuel. We're following on from the message last Sunday. 1 Samuel chapter 8. Just a little review. Chapter 7, uh, Pastor Ian last Sunday was talking to us about how it was possible for us to turn around and to be reconnected with God and find that no matter how far we've drifted away from God, as we turn around, we find him right there. It was a great message. If you haven't heard it, go online and and listen to it. Turning back to God and finding God. Now we're in chapter 8, and we're looking at the almost opposite, where the children of Israel are turning away from God. And you think, what happened? Well, what happened was a few decades. Uh, So let's look at chapter 7, last few verses, and into chapter 8. So chapter 7, verse 15. So Samuel is God's anointed judge who is leading the nation of Israel, and he continues his work. Samuel continued to judge over Israel all the days of his life. From year to year, he went on a circuit from Bethel to Gilgal to Mizpah, judging Israel in all those places. But he always went back to Ramah, where his home was, and there he also judged Israel And he built an altar to the Lord there. Just pause for a moment. This judging Israel, what's that about? Well, it's about the fact that within any community, there are often differences of opinion and tensions and stresses. And so Samuel would be the circuit judge coming around from place to place periodically. And those disputes that weren't able to be settled by local officials would be brought to Samuel for his judgment. And he gave wise judgment and was really appreciated as a spiritual leader and judge in all these places that he visited. So let's read on, chapter 8, verse 1. As happens to all of us, Samuel grew old. He appointed his sons as judges for Israel. The name of his firstborn was Joel, and the name of his second was Abijah. And they served at Beersheba, now that's right in the south of Israel. But his sons did not walk in his ways. They turned aside after dishonest gain and accepted bribes and perverted justice. So all the elders of Israel gathered together and came to Samuel at Ramah. They said to him, you're old and your sons do not walk in your ways. Now appoint a king to lead us such as the other nations have. But when they they But when they said, give us a king to lead us, this displeased Samuel, so he prayed to the Lord. And the Lord told him, listen to all the people are saying to you, it's not you they have rejected, but they've rejected me as their king. As they have done from the day I brought them up out of Egypt until this day, forsaking me and serving other gods, so they are doing to you. Listen to them, but warn them solemnly and let them know what the king who will reign over them will do. Samuel told all the words of the Lord to the people who were asking him for a king. He said, This is what the king who will reign over you will do. He will take your sons and make them serve with his chariots and horses, and they will run in front of his chariots. He will assign 
to be commanders of thousands and commanders of fifties and others to plough his ground and reap his harvest and still others to make weapons of war and equipment for his chariots. He will take your daughters to be perfumers and cooks and bakers. He will take the best of your fields and vineyards and olive groves and give them to his attendants. He will take a tenth of your grain and your vintage and give it to his officials and attendants. Your men servants and maid servants, the best of your cattle and the donkeys he will take for his own use. He will take a tenth of your flocks and you yourselves will become his slaves. When that day comes... You will cry out for relief from the king you have chosen, and the Lord will not answer you in that day. But the people refused to listen to Samuel. No, they said, we want a king over us. Then we should be like the other nations with a king to lead us and to go out before us and fight our battles. Well, when Samuel heard all that the people had said, he repeated it before the Lord. And the Lord answered, listen to them and give them a king. So what's happening here? The children of Israel are facing the challenge of new leaders emerging who don't have the anointing or the integrity of the first generation of leaders. And they look around for other methods of leadership and they suggest the appointment of a king. They're really changing from being a theocracy ruled by God, who raised up in times of emergency the judges that we read of in the previous book, the book of Judges. And instead of trusting God to provide spiritual leadership, they're looking for political leadership. Things don't change too much, do they? So why was it then that a generation turned away from God? And how did they do this? They did this by turning away from God's anointed leaders. But why did they do it? Now, this isn't just an academic question, because I suggest that all of us in this room know people who once seemed to walk closely with God, but over time, no longer seem to be following in that direction. You might say they've turned away, or maybe more drifted away from God. Why does an individual turn away from God, or drift away from God? And maybe it's even more personal than that. I'm speaking to parents this morning who are aware that members of your family who once seemed to profess faith are now no longer really walking with God as they did. Why does this happen? And can we learn anything from this passage about why this happens in really godly families that godly parents don't always produce godly children? And is there something in this passage that will help us understand the reasons why those who have drifted away have turned away and drifted away? And can we find the key to them returning and finding a faith that will transform their lives for the better? In this passage, I think there are four reasons why the elders of Israel came to Samuel And asked for a king. Here's the first. Frustration. I think that they were terribly frustrated by Samuel's sons who were perverting the course of justice by taking bribes. They were frustrated that their new leaders weren't godly and therefore were turning away. 
It's good. It was good of Samuel to delegate responsibility to the next generation. I've always been in favor of that. That the next generation should take a lead. But he didn't manage to instill in his sons the values that he'd lived by. It's not easy, is it, to instill those values in our children or our grandchildren for that matter. Why is this? It's because every individual has free choice to live as they please. And God allows that free choice. But I'm suggesting today that maybe the reason that some of our family members who are no longer seem to be close to God may have drifted away is because they become frustrated. Frustrated with those in spiritual leadership in church that aren't as godly as they ought to be. For 40 years I served as a free Methodist minister in this network of churches. And I was well aware at that time of the awesome responsibility it is to be a pastor. The Bible says that those who preach should be very careful because they'll be judged with greater strictness. And that if we put a stumbling block in front of a little one who believes in him, it would be better that we hadn't been born. There are some awesome challenges to those of us who are in spiritual leadership. But equally, there's a tremendous support given by God to those in spiritual leadership who would say to someone like Samuel, you're my man, and if people turn against you, they've turned against me. For 17 years, I served as the overseer for the whole network of pre Methodist churches in the UK, and I could list several occasions where congregations turned against their minister. But did they realize that in turning against the minister who was God's man for that church, they might even be turning away from God? So although ministers have an awesome responsibility, there's an awesome authority as well that goes with it. But still, I think, it's not uncommon in the life of the Christian church to find a church that's really going strong and then a new minister's appointment and the church dissipates. Frustration with spiritual leaders who don't lead with integrity. I think that's one reason why people turn away. Frustration with spiritual leaders. But but a second reason why the suggested a king, and I think it was fascination. I think they were fascinated with the leadership models they found in secular society. That They saw the other nations around them who had their kings, and their kings would lead out the, the, the army to battle and would fight their enemies for them. They thought, we'd like that. We'd like a king who would fight our battles for us. This would be fantastic. We need a better leadership model amongst the people of God. 21st century, we're still hearing that same old statement. We need better secular models of leadership. We need to be much more like the businesses, and much more like uh, the, the organizations that are really making a difference in our world. We need to have a vision and we need to get lots of people recruited to this vision and move forward with a strategy that's going to change this church for the next 20 years. And so churches are appointing chief executive officers instead of pastors. And yet in the Bible it's very clear that God is a shepherd, a chief shepherd, a good shepherd, that Jesus is a good shepherd, 
that the greatest leaders, my claim is, in the scriptures, Abram, Isaac, Jacob, David, shepherds. I think we mustn't lose sight of the fact, not shepherds who just care, but shepherds who lead. Shepherds who do lead the flock. We mustn't just imbibe the spirit of our age and have leadership models that are secular. Oh yeah, we can learn a lot from business and from organization, but let's redeem the truths that we learn. Because some of the, some of the ways in which the world works are not, not got Christian ethics and values. So we can learn, yes, be sure you know what you're taking on when you're taking these business models into the life of the church. We're told as Christians not to conform to this world, but to be transformed. I think if I was designing a leadership course for potential pastors, here I'm pushing it a little bit, I might suggest that they spent a year on a sheep farm as part of their training. Going through all the seasons, you learn an awful lot on a sheep farm. You really do. For example, you go into a field, a field full of sheep, and they're all together. They tend to hang together pretty well. But then there's one over there, and it's, it's under a hedge. Is it stuck? Maybe. More likely, it's not feeling very well. You go into a church... And you find a congregation and people are interacting, but there's someone who isn't connected. What's that saying? Well, go and find out. We'll learn a tremendous amount from being, having a shepherd's heart and a shepherd's concern. But I'm suggesting that the, children of Israel, the leaders of the children of Israel had forgotten that God was their shepherd and forgotten that God would call under shepherds to be their judges and we're looking to secular models of leadership. My warning to the churches, and I fear for churches that appoint secular leaderships rather than spiritual leadership. And it's happening, believe me. Third point, another F. So we've had frustration. I'm frustrated with that church. I can't, I'm not going anymore. Fascination. The church gets fascinated with secular values. and it, What's the point of going to church? It's no different than a social club. What about next one? Fear. The reason they wanted a king, verse 20, was to fight their battles. Yeah, the, the Philistines were all around them. In fact, the previous chapters have been full of stories of the, the war between the children of Israel and the Philistines. Things don't change too much, do they? Philistine, Palestinian, same reality. And because they were concerned about the war and about the threat of enemies, they're fearful of their enemies, they wanted someone to come and fight their battles. They seem to have forgotten that in the past when they cried to God, when they were under pressure and attack, God raised up a Samson. And God raised up a Gideon. And God raised up Deborah. Yeah, he raised lady, lady leaders as well. 
whenever we respond out of fear, we make bad decisions. And I suggest they were motivated by fear. But as a Christian, we're not given a spirit of fear. We needn't be afraid of what's happening in our world. God has a purpose and a plan for our world. We may not understand it, but we're absolutely certain that Jesus is coming again. We're absolutely certain his feet will stand on the Mount of Olives. So the Mount of Olives will be there. Jerusalem will be there. For he's coming again. He's got a plan and a purpose. Yes, and the prediction of Scripture is that all nations will turn against Israel. And they'll be isolated and alone. And they'll look to the Messiah. And the Messiah will come. So we need not fear. There are forces all around and there's lots of atrocities going on and God, his heart is for the victims, wherever they may be. But he has a purpose and a plan. And we need not fear. But it's fear of those around us that sometimes makes us conform to the secular world rather than stand for the truth. Some of us found this at school. Others us find it in hostile work environments where it's too easy to conform to the attitudes and values of the people around us. And we find ourselves saying things or thinking things or doing things that in our best moments we wouldn't do. I'm so glad that as a child at school, I learned not to conform. I learned to stand, even though my knees were knocking, and I was really scared. But I was determined not to conform to things that I didn't agree with and knew that were wrong. I'm glad I learned it there, because years later I needed to do that when I was on my own. It was easier to stand with a family around you. But when you're on your own, does fear make us turn away from God or drive us to God so that he can actually give us strength to stand firm? So what we've had, frustration, a lot of that in church at times, isn't there? Frustration, the church isn't doing what it should. And we pastors, we don't get it all right. But if our hearts are right, that's the key. If we've got a heart for God and a heart for people, you don't need more than that. You don't need to be fantastic preachers, don't need to be fantastic pastors. If they're a heart for God and a heart for you, let's support them. Or is it fascination? Fascination with, oh, it's so much more interesting. And church is so dull and boring. Or is it fear? Fear we don't want to be the odd one out. Fear of what others will say. Or is it finally, he's got there, is it finally failure? A failure to really understand the consequences of a bad decision. God's at pains to tell Samuel to spell it out in detail what it will mean to have a king. This is what it's going to be like, Samuel said. 
Your sons will go into the army. Your daughters will make perfume and be bakers. Your best land will be taken by the king. A tenth of your flocks will be taken. And what you'll find is that you will just experience forced labor, conscription, heavy taxes, and tyranny. Do you want that? Yes, please, they said. Because they failed to stop and think about the present and future consequences of a bad decision. I think sometimes that's what happens when those that we know and love and care for seem to drift away. They fail to understand the eternal consequences of a bad decision. But that doesn't need to be the end of the story. Yes, people might have drifted away from God and from church because of frustration or fascination or fear or failure to really think through the issues. But there's always a way back, as we heard last week. We can always turn around and find that God's there. I know that this message is a particularly difficult message for those of us who've got close relatives that once seemed to be really close to God and now don't appear to be. And we wonder, what have we done or what can we do? I think in closing, I'd say, take a lesson from the father of the prodigal son. What did he do? He let them go. He let him go, rather. Strange. He let a son go who was going to make really bad decisions. We can't control them. God loves them. We let them go not to, not to go f- from God, but we let them go to God. We let them go into God's hands. And then what, did, what happened? He watched and he waited. He waited for the first signs of the prodigal's return. So we release, we watch, we wait. And when we see any sign of a decision and move in the right direction, we run. And we welcome them. We don't judge them. We don't criticize them. We just welcome them home. And we throw a, we throw a party. And some people might criticize us, but there's rejoicing in heaven. Why did a generation turn away from God? They were frustrated with spiritual leaders. They were fascinated by the secular world. They were fearful of what their neighbors would do. And they failed to understand the consequences of a bad decision. We all make bad decisions at one time or another. We don't need to reap the eternal consequences because we can make a good decision. And a good decision is to say, I'm sorry, I got it wrong. Please forgive me. And then just welcome from the Father into the family 
with great rejoicing. Even if one or two older brothers might be critical. But let's listen to the Father. Let's pray. Father, we do pray, not just for ourselves, but right now we pray for this people, the children of Israel, who made a bad decision and still today make bad decisions. And we recognize, Lord, that you're someone who lets us make bad decisions. You don't compel us to do the right thing. You ask us to. You challenge us to. You warn us. But we've got to make the decision. And so we pray in the Middle East for those making decisions, whether they're Palestinian or Jewish or international leaders. Help them not to make decisions out of frustration or fascination or fear or failure, but to be prompted to do the right thing by the one who knows what's right and wrong. And for ourselves, Help us not to beat ourselves up if we feel that we failed as a parent. But help us to keep our eyes open and know there'll come a day when the prodigy will come to themselves and say, I'm going home. Lord, hear our prayer. Amen.